Herman's Jail by Joshua Lel Barsky Part 1 He walked closer to the fence, seeing torn wrappers and some contorted mitt. The snow had melted and the grass was dead and beige. He paid little attention to the others. Some of them ran through the dirt and clustered around the hill. He took his hand from the fence and saw lines of silt. Past the corridor, he saw some grease-stained paper bag at the base of the wire. Some small steps onward, he watched his teacher as she patrolled around the brick, circling the building like some vulture carcass being dragged on by a rusted gear. She was stout and old, and her scent wafted from the corridor, smelling of raw and sour chicken piss. He looked at her and felt a lack of his existence in her mind. He suspected that to her, he was merely a dumb animal. As her back turned, he went towards the corridor, towards where the paper bag was. The punishment for someone in his grade going past that particular corridor seemed severe, but he did not fear it. He walked ordinarily as not to draw any attention to himself. The asphalt became jagged. The sun was hidden behind a concrete awning. He saw two girls kissing against the wall beneath it. He thought they were idiots. One of them saw him. She looked familiar somehow. He looked away from her and walked past them. Outside of the corridor, he saw that the fence separated the grass from the parking lot. He looked along it and found the paper bag. Inside it were some exploded ketchup packages and burger wrappers and a stack of napkins. The napkins took to the wind and went onto a crumpled cigarette package. He opened the cigarette package and saw it was empty, aside from some tinfoil. He ripped out the tinfoil and crumpled it in his hand and then dropped it back on the ground. He followed along the fence and looked through it, towards the cars in the parking lot. He tried to see where the road led. It seemed to have no ending in either direction. He stayed looking at the cars and the road for some time, until he walked further along, passing the doorway and turning the corner. A bunch of guys stood in some deformed circle. They seemed much older than him. They ate what was left of their burgers and smoked cigarettes. He saw that their faces seemed malformed, their expressions banal and hysterical. He walked towards them in a slight way and stood near them. He tried to hear what they said but did not understand what they were talking about. One of them nodded to him and said, Hey, kid. The guy's face was covered in a harsh acne. His chin was elongated and his hair covered his eyes. The guy said, What are you doing, man? He didn't respond. What are you kicking on that fence about? He looked away from the guy. Man, you hear me? What are you kicking around that fence about? I don't know. You looking for something? He shrugged. What's your name, bro? He did not answer, but they repeated the question in a tone that frightened him, and finally he responded. Herman. Herman, Herman. Well, you know what? He shrugged again. You shouldn't hang around with guys like us. He stared at them. You know why? No. Because we're pieces of shit. He stared at them for a moment and they stared back until the bell rang. Herman darted off, past the parking lot and the doorway, and back towards the corridor where those idiots were making out. 
He ran so fast that his legs couldn't keep up to him. His foot caught and he fell onto the asphalt. He felt his head slam and his knees scrape against the ground. He was still for a moment. He looked at his knee. It seemed he made a new hole in his sweatpants. He dragged himself under the awning that he saw those girls under. It was a purposeless opening in the corridor. He hid and saw that his hand was cut. There was a small rock punctured inside of his palm. He tried to get the rock out with his fingernails, but he couldn't get it. Instead, he put his palm in his mouth and bit out the rock with his teeth. When he nabbed it out, it felt like some flaming gasoline shot through him. He spit onto the ground. The blood pooled and leaked from his palm. He sat against the wall and looked at the way his skin was cut. It frayed in a strange way and took on a new shape. As the pain subsided, it was replaced by a vastness that crept towards his chest. He sat there and stared at his hand until he became bored. He saw a book of matches on the ground. Some of them were already burned. He messed up lighting the first one, but the next one caught and he lit a plastic juice box straw on fire. It melted and curled like a worm dying in the sun. Afterward, he touched another match flame to some cardboard that was wedged into the corner of the wall. It caught and the flame spread quickly. He got up and kicked it as it burned until it became black ash. He went back into the school, carefully walking and sneaking around every corner. He didn't want to get busted by any teacher or ratted out by any kid. Some keys jangling, accompanied by some distant footsteps. He darted to some doorway with his back against the wall. He hid and did not move. He listened to every single one of the footsteps as they approached. He saw the shoes and the legs pass right by him. He saw that it was Principal Crumb, the most severe imbecile Herman had ever seen. His teeth grit as he watched the footsteps fade off. He stood at the water fountain and pressed the spout until his thumb turned white, but still the pressure was too limp to reach his hand. He kept jamming it down as hard as he could, but it barely worked. And then he heard the toilet flush from the bathroom. The water burst from the spout and arced outward, clearing the fountain and splashing onto the ground. He washed off the blood and the specks of dirt. He watched it all go down the porcelain and into the drain. The water stung his hand but eventually showed the truth of the wound. He saw the rip in his skin and the inside of his hand. And then some idiot came out of the bathroom. A heavy bastard, twice Herman's size. It was a guy he hadn't seen in a long time. He was one of the biggest guys in the entire school. A single flick from him would knock anyone onto their ass. They stood in front of one another and Herman saw that he had some look of sadness on his face. Herman said to him, Did someone piss you off, man? He saw the guy's expression change, like he was disturbed by some vulgar thought. He swung at Herman and sent him flying towards the wall. Herman was dazed and didn't understand what had happened. His stomach hurt badly from that. Herman got up and saw the guy was still after him. He lay in as many punches as he could, right into the guy's head. He was too big, and Herman's fists went into him like a molded sponge. 
He took Herman's head and squeezed it downward and tried to explode it. But then Herman launched outward with his best punch and hit the guy in the chin. He did not fall backward. Instead, he picked Herman up and tossed him at the water fountain. Herman's spine pierced against the tap. He fell and hid beneath the fountain like a wounded animal, unable to move. The guy said nothing, and he walked down the hallway. Herman stayed under the water fountain and tried not to whimper, but he was hurt badly. He lay hidden beneath the fountain and watched some pair of legs pass, until eventually someone ducked down and looked at him. It was the girl from the corridor who we saw making out with the other girl. She knelt down and looked at him. She asked if he was okay. He did not answer. She gave him some look of sympathy, and then she walked away from him. After he saw that she... He tore a strip of tape from the teacher's desk and bandaged his palm. The teacher stared at him as he did that. She did not ask him where he had been or why he was late. She'd come to expect this kind of thing from him. He noticed in that moment she smelled less like chicken piss, and he did not understand why. He sat at his desk and saw that his classmates looked merely like formless cutouts. The backs of their heads seemed to fade off into some futile oblivion. The shapes of their faces no different than the walls that surrounded them. The teacher scribbled all kinds of senseless diagrams all over the chalkboard. He looked at them briefly but was unable to discern any meaning from them. He became bored as she spoke, closed his eyes and rested some. When he woke up, she was still going on about it. He looked inside his desk. It was mostly empty aside from a thin layer of dust that surrounded a small mound of pencil shavings. He pushed the shavings between his finger and his thumb. The oil from his skin combined to create some kind of curious gunk. Soon, a piece of paper arrived on his desk. It had all kinds of senseless and annoying questions written on it. He tried to read them, but could not understand them well. Something about the countries and the cities of the world, their designations and their categories. He felt it was deeply irrelevant. Instead, he thought of an anthill he once saw, its inner workings, and its banal chaos. He took the pencil shaving gunk from his desk and carefully smudged it onto the back of the paper smearing a design that resembled the anthill he had been thinking about. He thought of all the ants crawling all over a stick he jammed in there. He tossed the stick up into the air and the ants flew towards the sun and lit on fire. His old friend Edmund took a piss on the anthill. One of the ants crawled up the piss stream and then ended up biting his ass. Herman drew the scene as well as he could while his other classmates scratched their heads tried to think of what they knew. He finished the drawing and admired it as a masterpiece, despite how indiscernible it may have been. Eventually, the teacher took back all the papers. She mixed them up and gave them back out again. He understood that the classmates were to review one another's papers. The back of their heads became googly-eyed, and the teacher asked if everyone had a paper to review. They all nodded, except for one girl. She held her arm upward. Herman had noticed her before, her short hair and tiny nose. She had an intensity to her 
and seemed not to lose herself in the trivial happenings of the day. He did respect her, even though he forgot her name. She spoke quietly when she was called upon and explained that she received a paper that had no name. She held up Herman's drawing. The teacher looked extremely disgusted as she examined the paper and she demanded to know whose paper it was. The teacher became angrier and then demanded to know who didn't write their name on the paper. Herman said nothing and the room was silent. She crumpled up his anthill drawing and tossed it into the trash. Herman was overwhelmed by some acute sadness, seeing his anthill drawing get tossed out like that. When the bell rang, Herman ran ahead of the others. He got to the cafeteria and was one of the first people in the lunch line. The lunchroom guard stood by the trash cans. He seemed younger than the teachers were. He was stout and had an odd posture. His hair was parted down the middle of his head and was colored similarly to the blemishes on his face. He wore round glasses and his eyes pierced across the cafeteria like some kind of strange animal. Herman took a food tray and slid it along the rails. The steam blurred the glass and he couldn't see what was in the hot trays until it was scooped onto his plate. Bread, beans, and some kind of ripped up meat. He took his tray to a random table and doused the meat in mustard. He scarfed it all down as fast as he could, and while still chewing, he stood and tossed the food tray across the room, frisbeeing it towards the trash cans where the lunchroom guards stood. The tray hit the edge of the trash can and ricocheted onto the ground. The mustard and the bean sauce splattered all over the place. Hey, what the hell, man? The lunchroom guard yelled out to Herman. Herman's eyes widened and he bolted through the doorway. The hallway was flooded with everyone trying to get into the cafeteria. He pushed against the current, but was sardined amongst them, the fabrics of their clothes scratching against his face. He pushed through them, desperately holding his elbow outward, and finally got to the staircase. He ran down the stairs as fast as he could, jumping down the final flight and sliding across the linoleum. He turned the corner and dove beneath the bottom stairs. He was completely out of breath. The air in his chest felt like molten lava and his heart beat into his skull. He waited beneath the stairs, peering upward. He sat there for some time until it seemed that lunchroom guard was not on his trail. There wasn't much of a decent reason why he frisbeed that lunch tray across the room. Maybe it was from seeing his drawing get wrecked. Maybe it's just what happened. He didn't know or care why, but what he did know is that it pissed off the lunchroom guard in a harsh way, and he knew that the lunchroom guard saw his face and was going to want to kick his ass for it, so he would have to defend himself. He would need to be ready for when he saw the lunchroom guard again. Herman sat there beneath the stairwell for the rest of the lunch hour. He needed some peace and quiet to think of what to do. The more he thought about it, the more frightened he became. His heartbeat kept ramping up and his knee beat like a rabbit's foot. He was staring blankly until he noticed a strange shadow by the windowsill. He carefully left his hiding spot and went to see what it was. He saw a dust bunny that had formed around a black fungus and inside of it was a tiny busted pencil. He took it and wiped it off and put it in his pocket. 
After the lunch break ended, Herman sat back at his desk and stared at the pencil that he'd found. Even though there wasn't much left and the lead was busted, he admired it. He went to the pencil sharpener and ground the pencil down some. The teacher glared at him and was deeply unhappy that he was sharpening it as she spoke. She was going on again about some place on the other end of the planet, some place Herman would never go. He looked at how sharp it had become. He held it in his fist, thinking of it as a secret knife. If anyone came near him, he would stab them with it. That was a decent start, he thought. But when he touched it, to see how sharp it was, it broke. He looked at it and was overcome by some sense of impending doom. He went back to his desk. He pushed the pencil into his hand and felt how dull it was. He looked towards the squiggly lines that the teacher drew onto the chalkboard. She called them countries. Herman did not believe the shapes to be accurate. He saw them as condescending and pointless. Likely, it was her intention to confuse him so that he would go along with whatever she said. And then if they needed him to clean sewers and toilets and carry bricks and build their towers, they would make him do so. They would make him whip their horses and sleep amongst them. And those would be the better scenarios. Whatever jobs were out there, whatever people had been lured into, he didn't want anything to do with it. He wanted to be left on his own. He looked at the leadless pencil that he had. Despite how useless it was, he was happy to have it. At the end of the day, Herman went back to his aunt's house. He slept, and when the day began again, he went back to the schoolyard, climbed on top of a strange piece of slanted concrete. He peered through a tiny opening and could narrowly see a spot on the opposite end of the building. It was past the corridor, past where those guys were, and past where he'd ever been. He tried to climb higher up the concrete, to see more of what was up there, but was distracted by someone he saw, walking from the other end of the building. It was a woman he didn't recognize. She looked confused and tried to open some door, but it was locked. She looked at a piece of paper from her bag and then walked back farther past where he could see. He snuck down the corridor and passed where he saw those guys. The woman walked to another door and then went inside the building. Herman hid behind the wall until he heard the door slam closed, and then he went back to the door and slowly opened it. He saw the woman and also Principal Crumb. And in that moment, he booked it out of there, past the fence and the corridor and back to the field. It was class time, and he sat at his desk with the pencil he had found. If he was to sharpen it again, it would become so small that he could only hold it by the eraser. It was useless being as dull as it was. So he sharpened it again and made it into a tiny spike. He tucked it between his knuckles so that it protruded outward like a claw. His heart stopped when he saw the woman from outside. She stood in the doorway and looked at a piece of paper and said to Herman, Is this class 4A? He stared at her with his jaw open and nodded. The claw still between his knuckle. The lead fell onto the ground. She could see he wasn't going to speak. 
She saw that Herman was an oddly small kid. She saw that he was particularly filthy and had a peculiar smell to him. She saw that his sweater was ripped and stained. Still, she smiled at him. She wrote her name onto the chalkboard. Miss Erie. The class became quiet and she explained she was the substitute teacher. They asked her where the ordinary teacher was and she said that she did not know. Herman was happy to hear that. He thought that Miss Erie was kind and he tried to listen to what she said, but inevitably his attention moved in and out and soon he dazed off into some other world. At a certain point, he noticed everyone had begun writing in their notebooks. He had no idea what they were doing. Miss Erie saw him looking dumbfounded. She came to his desk and his heart beat quickly. Hello, she said. He stared at her. She put a pencil onto his desk. It looked almost brand new. He was unsure whether to accept it or not. She said, Do you want to get started on the exercise? Still, he stared blankly. We're taking some time to write about a country we want to visit one day. Herman felt weakened by that request. He took the pencil she left there and held it in his fist and noticed how sharp it was. After the bell rang, he went outside with the others for the morning break. He stood in the field and now, instead of thinking of the lunchroom guard, he thought of Miss Erie. He thought that he might be able to say something to her if he saw her again. He considered telling her that the reason he didn't write anything down was because he didn't want to go anywhere. In fact, he wanted to go less places than he'd already been. He passed the corridor and the fence and went back to the door that he saw her go into earlier. He opened it slowly, and this time, there was no one there. He went to the stairwell and walked very carefully so that his sneakers did not screech. There was a hallway at the top of the stairs. He went to the end of it and arrived at another door. He pushed open the handle and arrived at the rooftop. The air was thin and strange. He looked downward and his stomach felt nauseated, like he had perhaps swallowed a vacuum. He looked at the slanted concrete where he stood earlier. He looked at all the dumb kids down there in the field, running back and forth. He looked at the corridor and the garbage along the fence. The smokers looked like blurry termites. He looked at all the teachers' cars in the parking lot. Most of them were parked like complete idiots, except for one. He imagined that was Miss Erie's car. He stayed there for the entire break, and when the bell rang, he watched the doors open and suck everyone inward like dust and crumbs. He was frightened by the quiet and how alone he was. He stared at the road that led away from the school, and eventually he thought of his old friend, Edmund. Edmund was a guy who didn't care what anyone said. He wore the same t-shirt as often as he wanted, and never thought twice about anything. He didn't care who liked him or who didn't. It was all the same to him. He was a squirrel killer. That is why he wore a hat made of squirrel pelts. They were ones that he'd killed with his dad. They had infested his roof. His dad made him climb on the roof with a knife and stab them all. Edmund was proud to have that hat and to have killed the squirrels that infested his roof. In the summer, Edmund's dad let him drive his truck. He crashed it and Edmund didn't live, even though his dad did. 
Herman had often thought of how that truck would have looked all crashed up. He stayed on the rooftop and glared off at the road, and every so often a truck would pass. He saw some faint cloud coming upward. He looked over and saw that the smoking guys had still not gone inside either. Herman watched them and eventually he put his middle finger up and pointed it towards them. He didn't make a sound, but still one of them saw him do it and yelled up to him. Hey, kid. They all looked at him and he dropped his middle finger. What the hell are you doing, man? Herman didn't answer. Hey, kid. They yelled up to him again. How'd you get up there, man? Herman put up his middle finger again. What the hell are you even doing, man? Looking at these damn cars, the hell does it look like I'm doing? Herman said. They laughed, but then they heard someone else yell from the other side of the building. It was Principal Crumb. Hey, you get down here now. Herman bolted back inside, down the hallway and down the stairs, his sneakers now squeaking on every step, his feet moving so fast that they looked like an unspooling rope. He ran all the way into the basement and into a massive supply closet. It was completely dark aside from a small window. He stayed there and did not move. Eventually, the boredom had become so intolerable that it felt like his stomach was burning through his skin. It occupied his mind completely and he thought that perhaps it would murder him. He could see the parking lot. He stared at all the cars there until his eyes became blurry. He imagined each car driving down the road and how they would crash into a brick wall. He tried to look upward to the roof, imagining Miss Erie standing at the top of the building. He imagined her looking at the parking lot the same way that he was. He imagined her jumping off of the building and how it would feel for her to have done that. He thought of how his stomach felt when he was up there and how it felt like it was shrinking towards a black hole and expanding into everything all in one moment. He thought of the pavement and how it would look when Miss Erie jumped towards it. It would expand like water and she would disappear into it like a portal, and then she would be dead. Her head exploded and her legs snapped like twigs. He imagined Edmund in his dad's truck getting his head exploded as well. His eyes getting burned and how the windshield would have blown apart. Herman stayed there by the window, thinking of it, as Edmund's windshield. He thought of an auto shop that he once saw. He thought of all the trucks on the road, and if they got busted, then they could go to the auto shop. There was nothing that couldn't be fixed there. Any part of the car that got smashed in any accident, no matter what, could get fixed. Even if two of the cars drove from opposite ends of the street at full speed and exploded, They'd get towed off and the burning wreckage would get dragged back to the auto shop. The mechanics would stand there in their uniforms and they would watch the cars burn. They wouldn't even put out the fire. They didn't even care about the people in the accident. Even if it was Edmund, they didn't care. They would just fix the cars. No matter how busted they were, because that's what they did. He thought of the old teacher and how she patrolled around the building during the break. He was reminded of the chicken piss smell, and he thought of the farm that the chickens were from. It must have been run by the worst farmers out there. A farmer probably pissed on the chicken's head instead of hosing them down in the morning. That was where their old teacher was from. 
She was born at that chicken farm. She was an overgrown chicken who had the unfortunate fate of being born human. If only Herman had the chance to toss her at some idiot's window when she was still an egg. That would have been better. That made him smile. He thought that maybe one day Miss Erie would become like their old teacher. Perhaps she was another egg in the carton to splatter against the glass and decorate someone's window like a church. A splash of farmer piss stuck to the window that would take days to scrub off. If he spoke to Miss Erie again, he would tell her that he had to figure out where he wanted to go. If he could go anywhere in the world, it would be to that auto shop where they could fix any car, even the truck his old buddy Edmund was driving. He looked at the cut on his hand. There was a piece of skin that was sticking out. He bit it off and spit it out. He thought that that bit of skin could destroy a massive truck if it was aimed correctly. The truck would get launched into the air and it would rip along the concrete. He thought of going to Miss Erie's car and picking the lock and hot wiring it. He thought of how it would be to speed out of the parking lot and go down the road. Gritting his teeth and imagining the rumbling motor and how he would go faster than anyone. That was it. He would steal her car and get the hell out of there once and for all. He went back down the hallway and up the stairs. He pushed open the doorway and the brightness of the sun burned into his eyes. And then he saw someone he didn't expect. The lunchroom guard. Yo, the lunchroom guard said. Herman took some steps backward. He slowly reached into his pocket and held the pencil that Miss Erie gave him. He felt the dullness of the eraser on his thumb. You good, man? The lunchroom guard said. He looked dubious. He held open the door. Herman was still. The lunchroom guard saw the way that Herman looked, and he became fearful of him. He said, Listen, I'm not going to knock you out, all right? We're good. I'm not on shift yet, so we're good. Herman did not flinch. He just stared at the lunchroom guard, waiting for him to make a false move. Bro, you good? The lunchroom guard said. Herman still stared at him. He said nothing. And when the lunchroom guard took a step near him, Herman took the pencil from his pocket and stabbed the lunchroom guard between the ribs. Herman saw the lunchroom guard's face become infantile and his mouth twitched. He looked frozen and reached outwards for help, but Herman stepped backwards. The lunchroom guard walked only a few steps before collapsing. Blood pooled into his shirt. Herman dropped the pencil and ran towards the staircase. His thoughts were absent, and he ran all the way back to the rooftop. He hit against the ledge. His spine pushed against the brick. He felt there was some vast space between himself. His heart pounded against his chest, and he felt like he could hardly move. He tucked his knees towards his chest and put his head down until he was able to get his thoughts together. He needed to get to Miss Erie's car. He got up and looked at the parking lot again. Even if that wasn't her car, it was the one he would have to steal. He needed to get down there. He couldn't go back through the building. He tried to find a way to climb off of the roof. It was so high up that he could barely even look below without his stomach turning inside out. He went along trying to find some way down, and then he heard a loud blaring alarm. The one from the fire drills. White lights flashed from below. 
The screeching sound rattled his gut. He saw a metal ladder that curved over the building. He went towards it. The handles felt sharp in his hands. He saw that it didn't go down very far, but if he climbed down it, he could get onto a lower awning. He lifted his foot over the ledge and then saw the doors below slam open and the students began flooding outward. He ducked down and watched through an opening in the bricks. Every kid in the entire school went out into the field. They formed into lines and stood with their teachers. Even the smokers were in a line. He saw the guy that kicked his ass at the water fountain. He saw his class and he saw Miss Erie. If he climbed over that ladder, they would all see him. It was a sure way to get busted. He crept along the building and tried to find another way out on to the other side of the building. There was no other ladder, but he could jump down onto an awning. It looked like from there, he could get to one that led to the corridor. He had no other choice. He climbed up onto the ledge. He looked downward. If he fell, that would be it. He would splatter into a black hole and be dead. The rooftop door slammed open. One of the kids below heard it and looked up. They saw Herman standing on the ledge. They pointed and then all the students saw him. They started yelling. He rushed along the ledge and got as close to the awning as he could. He went back to make a running jump, but a fist grabbed him by the back of the neck and lifted him by the scruff. It was Principal Crumb. His face was elongated and hollow. He screamed so intensely that Herman could not understand what he said. Herman fought for his life, but he couldn't escape his grip. Principal Grum tackled him into the ground. The alarm still blared, and the gravel pierced into Herman's face. And then it became quiet again. Part 2 Shapeless rust formed and crawled upwards like a cluster of scratched and flattened ants. Two bunks alongside the grated window. The one Herman lay in was closer to the door. His back was cramped on the pillow. He stared upwards towards curious dust, looking at the coils above him, the bed springs. There was some kind of drawl in the room, a low hum. He listened for pockets of quiet, perhaps an attempt to abandon where he was. His thoughts would drown themselves with a certain fear that he could not reconcile. It seemed as though he was possessed by some hell-bent void. His bunkmates... Their chronic presence was its own living hell. The bastards were always there. One had a long scar that began at the base of his skull and continued along his face, dividing it and ending at his throat. He was missing his hands, his arms ended near his elbows. His bedsheets were tucked strictly around his mattress and it seemed that he did not sleep. He was deeply raccoon-eyed and his spine protruded upward from his t-shirt as he was perpetually hunched over his chessboard. He would push a piece and then creak his chair along the linoleum to the other side of the table in order to become his own opponent. That was Sean. The other was a heavyweight tuna, Paul. He had bulging eyeballs and round cheeks. His physicality showed him as severely disillusioned, as if the world was a viral affront to his being. This was offset by a constant muttering that would ease in and out of a distinct laughter. He carried a strange joy. Something infantile. Something contagious and relentless. Surely, Herman was the runt of this unit. He was years younger than either of them, and much smaller. Herman stood in the shower. The water was cold and prickly. He scrubbed the bar of soap on his head. The little bubbles flooded into the drain. 
He was careful not to cut his foot on its edge. He sat in front of a bowl of oatmeal and stared at it as if it was no different than the metal shower drain. The boys sat and paid no attention to one another. After he ate, he took his bowl to the washing station. He gently placed it into the bucket, drowning it in the murky water. He sat in a metal library chair, avoiding his thoughts and busying his mind with whatever he could manage. He looked at the edge of the table and saw that the wood was layered. He imagined some wasp infestation crawling and bleeding from the glue. He looked at the window. It was barred and warped and showed a distorted view of the yard. Some dust particles floated aimlessly through the light and he saw that they were idiotic and pointless. The librarian was big like Paul. He wore glasses that doubled the size of his eyes. He told Herman his name, but Herman quickly forgot what it was. The librarian asked Herman if he was able to read. Herman said that he could. He read a sentence aloud and the librarian noted Herman's stutter and the slow pace at which he made out the words. He told Herman to go on and pick a book that he was interested in. Herman walked to the bookshelves and stared at the titles. He did not know which one he wanted to read, if any. The librarian saw him standing and staring dubiously at the shelf. Paul sat beneath the window, inhaling words like a prehistoric sea beast. Mindlessly yawning up entire species of fish like some kind of amphibious vacuum. At times he would laugh loudly at what he read and other times he would yell and curse the book's name. When he finished the books, he would slam them shut and raise his hands in the air like he had won a championship belt. Sean sat with his chest set and stared at the pieces. The ghosts of his fingers entwined as he pondered. The librarian tried to engage with Sean about his chest problems, but could not understand their detail to the full extent. He saw that Sean had found solace in the complexity of it all, and he respected his compulsion. Still, Herman stood at the bookshelf and stared at the spines. Each day, when their time ran out, the librarian ripped off a piece of scrap paper and gave it to Herman, telling him to mark up to the point where he had searched. Three boys sat at a picnic table in the yard for several hours. Paul looked upward at the passing clouds. Sean had his notebook and considered his chest problems, and Herman served no greater purpose than a coat hanger. He had been given a new sweater. It showed a football spiraling across bolts of neon blue lightning. Herman copied Paul and stared upwards at the sky. He looked at the sun and then closed his eyes and considered the spots and shapes that appeared. After some days, Paul looked at him when he did that and said, Yo, man. Herman heard what he said, but did not respond as he was trying to decipher the sunspots beneath his eyelids, what he considered to be some kind of alien fire. Man, said Paul. Herman then looked at Paul and saw the remnants of the sunspots that bloomed and overlapped over Paul's perspiring face. Herman squinted and Paul said, I ever tell you about my old girlfriend, man? Herman had no idea what he was talking about. He looked away towards where the picnic table met the dirt. Paul said, I was just thinking about her, man. Love of my life. She was the hottest chick I ever met. Herman looked towards the sky again, to where Paul had been looking. He saw two long, white, cloud-like streaks that followed behind the plane. It is what it is, bro, Paul said. Herman nodded. He looked at Paul, then looked at the sky again. The plane had flown out of sight. You got a chick out there? Paul asked him. Herman did not respond. The three boys sat quietly, the long streaking arc fading off from where the plane engine had been. They sat in the lunchroom, 
and were served some canned soup. Herman dipped his spoon into the murkiness of the sardines. Paul looked at a bag of crackers, and Herman also looked at them. Sean was oblivious to an extent, until he noticed the crackers too. Paul stood on the bench and raised his fists toward the ceiling and screamed, Sardines are chemtrails. The depth of his cavernous lungs filled the room with a Tyrannosaurian rumble. He screamed it a second time, emptying his lungs and holding his fists upward. Both Sean and Herman, despite themselves, smiled, and Herman looked at Paul. The ceiling fan twirled wildly above him. He was filled with some insane joy, and then some guy shouted at him, You sit your ass down, boy. Paul looked at the guy, and responded by belting the phrase even louder. Sardines are chemtrails. The shockwave of it warbled the windows, and the room was overtaken by a deafening silence. Paul jumped upwards, and when he sat, the wooden bench bounced with his weight and launched Herman like a shocked alley cat. Paul held his fist toward Sean and said, Pound it, not acknowledging that Sean had no fist on either hand. Herman saw that Sean looked resentful, but still, Paul held his fist outward, and he insisted to Sean, Yo, pound it, man. The conviction broke through, and Sean reached his arm outward and pounded Paul's fist with his elbow. Paul then offered his fist to Herman. Herman was frightened by the gesture, but Sean gave him a look of encouragement. Herman reached his elbow and hit it against Paul's fist in the same way that Sean had, and the three boys sat together as some disillusioned sardines in a strange and murky soup. Herman's head was cranked oddly towards the pillow. He slept as peacefully as any boy might. When he woke up, he saw the bed springs above him and recalled the face of the lunchroom guard. He sat up on the bed and looked at the ground, and then looked across the room towards the window. The light beamed onto Paul. He was leaned forward in a strange position, making strange beast-like noises, something unwound and lethargic. In a way, Herman wanted to go over and ask Paul if he was okay. But he stopped himself, remembering how he got his ass kicked outside of the bathroom at the school. Eventually, Sean had become so pissed off by the noise that he couldn't focus on his chest move. He yelled to Paul, Hey, man! But Paul did not respond, and he only continued in his rabid delirium. Sean said again, Man! And there was no response. He went to Paul, and Herman followed behind. They stood over him, but he did not react to their presence. He only lay there under the window like a deranged zoo animal. There was a small bag of crushed salts in Paul's hand. Some of it had snowed down onto his chest like dandruff. Herman looked at Paul's face. There was something unholy and ghostly about it. Herman saw that Paul had become an idiot and his fear extended in a way that he hadn't known before. Man, wake up! Sean kicked Paul's bunk and rattled it. Paul made some snorting sound and finally responded, Yo, what up, man? Sean shook his head and went back to his chest set. Herman looked between the two of them, unsure what to make of it all. When they ate their breakfast, Herman saw that Paul's eyes were puffy and absent. Paul was laughing about something that neither Sean or Herman understood. They ate their toast, and Herman felt the crunch of it fill his ears. Outside, Herman stood at the end of the picnic table. He jumped off of it and fell into the dirt. He did this a number of times until he became tired, and then he sat quietly and looked up at the sun. 
Paul began to go on about some radio show that he had been listening to the night before. He talked about the plane engines and the operation trails that they left behind. He spoke about the chemicals that were spilled down and how they were messing with everyone. He kept going on about it until Sean lost his patience. He spoke over him and said, Man. Yes, man. Paul looked at him, smiling. What damn radio show are you talking about? My radio. Man, what radio? I was listening to my radio. Man. What man? There's no damn radio in our room, man. Paul tilted his head at him. He looked disturbed for a moment, and then he realized that was true. He laughed maniacally and was overtaken by some inexplicable joy. In some contagious way, Sean then broke and laughed and Herman could not help but follow. They laughed together for a good minute. Herman walked along the grass near the concrete barrier. There was no garbage to investigate and no road that he could see. There were parking curbs set up in a roundabout. He looked at them in their strange shape. He looked further along the building. Off in the distance, he saw a tiny line of steam twirling towards the sun. He stood in the shower. The water was freezing. The soap bubbled off his head, and for a moment he felt nothing. The water and his thoughts seemed to overlap in a stillness that he appreciated. He looked down at the bubbles as they circled towards the metal drain. He heard some slamming sound, and some guys entered into the bathroom. They were older than he was. They senselessly kicked open all the stalls until they arrived at Herman's. Herman immediately raised his middle finger at them. They laughed at him, and then one of them grabbed Herman's head and tossed him onto the ground. Whatever remnants of the sun he had tried to burn into his eyelids had vanished, and it was as if the lights went out in his mind. He knew that he had many split thoughts in that moment, but they all sparked out like busted lightning. He lay on the tile, feeling the drain pipe beneath him. The shower sprayed harshly onto his back and shoulder, the temperature now scorching and blistering his skin. He lay on his mattress and his thoughts moved more slowly than usual. His face was swollen and he tried to hide it from Paul and Sean. Eventually, Paul came over to his bunk and said, What's good, man? Herman shrugged. Yo, you good, man? Herman shrugged again. What happened, man? Paul asked. I got in a scrap. Some guy's trying to mess with you, bro. I don't know. What guys, man? Herman shrugged. Paul paced around the room for a moment, and then he leaned against his bunk and nodded. All right, here's one, man. One time, one time, my manager at work was messing with us. And so me and this other guy I worked with, we got this massive catfish from the supermarket. And then at the end of our shifts, we all stopped. He was interrupted by his own laughter. It took him some time to get himself together. Herman was smiling at how contagious it was. And then Paul said, This guy I worked with, he went home on his lunch break and got his mom to fart in a plastic bag. And then he sealed it up in there. Paul went into a laughing fit again. It was a huge fart, man. That bag was blown up all the way, like it was going to explode badly. And then we took the fart bag and we blasted it into the catfish's ass. And it got puffed out, like one of those other fish. You know? Paul kept laughing. And so we took that fish and tossed it way up in the air vent. And we pushed it with a broom, so it went all the way down there. All the way above the manager's office. 
And man, it was so far down the vent, they had no idea where the hell it was. It was vile, man. It was vile. That place smelled so bad, they had to shut the entire strip mall down for a week. And they had all kinds of guys there trying to sort it out. They ripped out the carpet and near gutted the place. They had to take down the whole HVAC before they found it. Paul was laughing hysterically, and he saw that Herman and Sean were laughing with him. They calmed down and Paul said, Here, I know it's not much, but... He tossed Herman the dandruff salt bag that he had. Herman's heart beat wildly. He was unsure what to do with it. He felt grateful and frightened. Paul went back to his mattress and Sean continued to mess with his chest pieces. Herman sat on the bed and stared at the bag. He saw there was a small amount of dust in the corner of it. He opened the bag and copied what Paul did. At that moment, Herman felt the space between himself and his thoughts expand. It filled with the sense of something sickeningly euphoric and seemed to compress until he was spun off his axis. His eyes fluttered and he leaned to get back against the wall. He was at once removed from himself. It was as if he had entered some kind of vacuum that was not blissful or violent. It was absent beyond comprehension. He thought that even a dead person may have had a more enriched consciousness than him then, perhaps from the fertilizer that ate through their brain as they rotted in the dirt. And for that moment, there was no Paul or Sean, there was no librarian, and there was no lunchroom guard. There was no shower drain or oatmeal bowl, there was no pencil shavings, and there was no auto shop. He stared closely at a tree, and it seemed hollow and numb while a fire burned through him. Fear rose from his neck to the top of his chest. It seemed to twirl and flail in an attempt to grasp onto something but failed in the emptiness, like a desperate serpent squiggling as it plummeted towards the canyon base. Or maybe it was only some corridor worm twirling like a matchstick flame, like the one he had seen. He pushed his fist into the bark of the tree and felt the skin on his knuckle open. He looked at his knuckle and saw the way the skin frayed and the small grain inside the wound. He saw there was no blood, and then he saw there was no tree at all. He drifted out of whatever nap or daze he was in and lay on the mattress, staring dead and absently at the endless bed springs. Herman had begun to hover around Paul constantly. Each day when they went back to the room, Paul would set some dandruff salt up for them. They would take it and stare, dizzily and blankly, while Sean focused steadfast on his chest. In those first days... It seemed that Herman tried to combat something inside of himself, but eventually it was different, and the distance that he felt faded into a dumb numbness. There was no tree to return to. Instead, his mind seemed to shut down. It became quiet and he felt nothing. In the wake of it, he felt the banal capacity to have one thought at a time, and he appreciated that. In the library, Herman looked along the bookshelf searching through all of the strange titles with a precision he hadn't known before. Until eventually, he saw a book that's author shared his name. It was a large book, bigger than most of the others. It seemed like it could defeat them all. He took the book and slammed it down onto the library table. The librarian nodded and looked impressed by the ambition of his choice. Herman opened the book and began to stare at the words. He wanted to read them like Paul did. His eyes clocking over the letters, he imagined some strange ideas, but did not know if they were inspired by the words he read or from his own distracted mind. They stood outside, and Herman tapped his foot incessantly. He had no patience left. 
He thought seldom of anything except going back to the room and having more of the dandruff salts. It had been some weeks of this pattern, and eventually, when they arrived back at the room, it became apparent that Paul did not have any salts left. We'll have to get some more, men, Paul said. Herman did not know what to say. He only nodded, and eventually, he went back to his mattress. He lay there throughout the night. He was unable to sleep. His stomach felt as if it were eating itself, and his thoughts became loud and chaotic. Behind it all, a single point of clarity. He needed more salts. He lay on the mattress and stared at the bed springs. He thought of the schoolyard. He thought of walking along the fence and looking across it. The silt on his hand. He was a field mouse there, but now, in this new place, he was trapped behind a dusty fridge, unable to find his way back to the grass. He stood and stared through the window, past the fence and towards the sky, waiting for a plane or a bird to pass overhead, looking towards the sunspots. He pushed his forehead against the window and remembered the lunchroom guard, and his thoughts split into many directions. He saw the clouds pass through one another and imagined his teeth latching onto them, bloodlessly chewing them like cud. John saw Herman repeatedly hitting his head against the glass and he went up to him and he said, Man! He saw that Herman was unable to listen to him. He recognized that Herman was at the opposite end of his shapeless grid that seemed to drown him into nothingness. Sean tried to grasp Herman with his elbows but could not pull him from the window. Paul was dead asleep, his body flaccid against the concrete, dreaming off into oblivion. Herman! Man! Sean repeated. Herman thrashed and threw Sean backward, sending him crashing into his chest table, knocking the pieces and scattering them across the ground. This woke Paul. He came over and held Herman's arms behind his back, apprehending him. Still, Herman squirmed with all he had and demanded to be released. But Paul refused, and he held Herman's arms with his elbow across his chest until eventually Herman exhausted himself completely, and then Paul released him. Herman sat, covered in a rank sweat. Paul watched over him. He opened the window, and the air cooled the room. The quiet and the darkness seemed to bring them some calm. Herman woke up exhausted, feeling that perhaps someone had poured pollen or glue into his eyes. He didn't go in the shower, and it was difficult for him to finish his breakfast. He fell asleep in front of his oatmeal, and his stomach felt like it had overturned. Sean nudged him awake, and he saw that Paul was senselessly laughing at something he imagined in some perpetual way. In the library, Herman stared at his book, but he could no longer decipher the words. He rubbed his eyes and fell asleep on the book. The librarian did not intervene. By the afternoon, Herman had a splitting headache, but eventually it subsided, and he felt more ordinary. He did not want to speak or look at anyone. He continued to skip his showers, but after some days... He was able to eat some oatmeal. When they returned to the library, he tried to read the book again, but the words did not seem to align, and he was overtaken by a frivolous rage. He began kicking the bookshelf in some fury. Paul laughed as he saw that Herman was at it again. He went over and tried to hold Herman back, but the hallway guard entered and separated the boys to opposite ends of the room. Paul was still possessed by his laughing fit, and the hallway guard became angry. He went to Paul and pushed his face against the window. He screamed at Paul, but Paul only laughed more. Herman yelled back at him, saying that Paul didn't do anything, and the hallway guard told him to shut his mouth.
Herman went towards the guard and tried to get Paul out of his grip, kicking and pulling to help his friend. But he was no match for him. The guard released Paul and took Herman. He dragged him down the hallway and tossed him into a broom closet. Herman continued to thrash and scream in there until he became exhausted. When he realized he had stopped, he began again, continuing a burst like that for some time, until, despite his best effort, he became more calm. Eventually, he felt some stillness, and then, without notice, they opened the door and brought him back to the library. Yo, man, Paul said. Sean nodded at him. Herman sat back at his chair, slumped and defeated. The librarian came and put the book onto the table. Herman looked at the librarian, and the librarian looked at the book. You gonna read it or not? The librarian asked. Herman was pissed off, but he was not ready to let go of the book. He felt some attachment to it. It gave him some hope of what he didn't understand. What? The librarian said. His tone did not seem to carry the kindness or the patience that it had before. Herman felt some embarrassment, having expected the librarian to be proud of him for grappling with that book. You need me to ask you again? The librarian said. Herman looked at him. If you're not going to read it, then don't. Herman became angry. You want to have another temper tantrum? No. Then speak up. Are you going to read the book or not? Herman puffed out his chest and looked up at the librarian. He said, yes. Yes, what? I'll read it. The librarian looked at Herman and saw his conviction. He nodded and then went back to his desk. Herman sat with the book in front of him. He opened it, the book's spine cracking and its sour smell wafting into his face. He looked at the words, still not understanding what he saw. For the most part, his eyes did nothing more than move across the page. They returned to their room. Herman lay on his back. The sun set and gave him a nauseating feeling. He felt his stomach was acting in a way that made him feel like he would not survive, until he vomited onto the ground. He cleaned it with a handful of paper towel and saw that Sean was disgusted by him. He stood next to Paul's bunk and waited as Paul shuffled through some bubble wrap and garbage. Hey, man, Paul said. Herman stared at him. Paul saw how desperate he was. Gotta get some more cash if that's what you're asking, said Paul. He saw that Herman didn't know what he was talking about. I lost all my money betting on the last fight. What fight? Louis versus Volchaska. Heavyweight World Championship. Herman didn't know what that was. You ever watch the fights, man? Paul asked him. No, Herman said. Paul smiled. All right, bro, take a seat. Herman sat at the end of the mattress, and Paul went on to talk for nearly an hour about all the types of fights and all the best fighters. He explained how it went down, and that in his mind, betting on the fights wasn't about picking the winner. It was about playing against the odds. I make all my money off the fights. And then I use that to get the salt bag sent here. You'll see the package. It says it comes from my mom. Your mom sends it? Technically, no. But in theory, yes. I just get my guy to write mom on the box. Paul smiled. What if they open it? They always do. But they don't find squat, man. All they find is gummy bears and sour worms. Herman stared at him. He looked at all the empty boxes and candy wrappers around Paul's bed. Paul reached over to a pack of Coke bottle candies. He took one for himself and offered one to Herman. Herman took it and ate it. It had been a while since he had something like that. Herman sat in the library and looked at the words on the page, but still he could not read them. 
His thoughts seemed more chaotic than before, crashing into each other and vanishing as fast as they appeared. He became obsessed by the idea that if he had more salts, he could slow his thoughts enough to see the words. He needed to get money, and then he could focus and read the book like he told the librarian he would. He lay on the mattress and looked up at the bed springs. He thought of every place he had ever seen, trying to think of where he could find some cash until an idea occurred to him. He remembered seeing one of the hallway guards standing in front of a vending machine. He remembered how the guard took out his wallet, plucked out a bill, and fed it inside the machine like a lizard's tongue. Herman reached his hand in and out of his pocket and felt how it would be to reach in and steal a wallet. He felt the movement and carefully reshaped the form of his hand in order to reach in and out of his own pocket without touching it against the fabric of his pants. He could walk up and grab the wallet like it was nothing. If he could get money from the guard, he could give it to Paul, and then Paul could bet it on the fights and buy more salts. In the library, Herman still tried to see the words, but his eyes would become so tired and he wanted to sleep badly. He looked at the spine of the book and stared at his own name on it. He stared at that and then saw the librarian was also looking exhausted. Herman repositioned his chair and leaned his forehead onto his hands so that they covered where he looked. It would seem as if he was reading the book, but in fact, he was watching the librarian. Still, he tried to read the words and to descramble them, but he lost himself in the movement of his eyes going across the letters. He became overcome with the idea that he did not know where he was. He did not know where the ocean was or any river. He did not know where to find the lake, and even if it rained, he couldn't even find a puddle. And then he heard the librarian say, What? Herman looked up. He saw the librarian was talking to him. He shrugged. What was that? The librarian asked. Nothing, said Herman. Come here, bring the book. Herman did. What did you read? Herman showed him. What'd that mean to you? The librarian asked. Herman shrugged again. Come on. Herman recalled. He wants to go to the sea because then he doesn't have to deal with anyone. The librarian nodded and grinned somewhat, and Herman knew then that he had read from the book. Herman saw that even despite himself, and with no dandruff salts, he had understood some piece of what he had read in his own way. He looked at the librarian and saw where he kept his wallet. It was right there in his front pocket. Herman lay on the mattress and no longer noticed the bed springs. He only thought of taking the librarian's wallet. He felt a continuous wave of guilt over it, but there was another force that seemed more persistent. Even though he had begun to understand what he read, that force led him to repeatedly practice moving his hand in and out of his pocket, taking a piece of crumpled newspaper and grabbing it again and again as if it were a wallet full of cash. He got up and went to Paul's bunk. Yo, man, said Paul. Yo, man, said Herman. What's good, man? I think I'll have some money soon. Nice. And then you'll bet it? For sure, man. On the fight? Hell yeah. Herman nodded. Man, I was thinking about something, said Paul. Those guys that kicked your ass, which ones were they? Herman saw a strange rage simmering behind Paul's eyes. Who were they, man? Paul said. Some guys. Well, man, it's been pissing me off that they kicked your ass. You know what I mean? Herman nodded. They try and mess with you again. I got your back, bro. All right? 
Paul saw that Sean was looking over at them. You know what I mean, man? Paul asked Sean. Sean nodded. You in? Paul asked him. Sean thought for some time, and then he said, Okay. Paul got up and went over to Sean. He fist bumped his elbow. All right, and what about you, man? Paul said to Herman. Herman looked back at Sean and became overwhelmed. He nodded and said, I'm in. Good, said Paul, and he gave Herman a fist bump as well. All right, bro, it's on record. We got your back. In the library, Herman sat as he ordinarily did, until eventually he stood and went to the librarian's desk. Herman told the librarian he had to use the bathroom, and when the librarian stood to call for a guard to take him, Herman moved his hand, exactly how he'd practiced, and stole the wallet from the librarian's pocket. Herman's heart beat out of his chest. He sweat profusely. The hallway guard came and walked Herman to the bathroom. Don't take long, the hallway guard said. Herman rushed into the stall and opened the wallet. There were two bills. He put them into his pocket. He pried open the shower drain and jammed the wallet in there. He turned on the water and tried to wash the wallet down the drain, but it was stuck. He kicked it until he couldn't reach it. He looked in the mirror and saw that he was pale and scared to all hell. He splashed some water onto his face from the sink to try and calm himself down. Some guys entered and Herman ignored them until he realized who they were. The same guys that kicked his ass before. He wished his friends were there to back him up. He wished he was not alone, but he was. If they kicked his ass again, they would take the money and he would be severely busted. He wasn't going to wait for them to make the first move. He went up to the biggest guy and punched him in the throat. Herman pushed the guy into the ground and went after the next one, headbutting him and grabbing his hair and scratching him across the face. He kicked the guy in the chin and sent him down. The third guy stumbled backwards and Herman punched him in the ribs and then ran out of the room. He went back out and the hallway guard saw he was out of the breath, but he did not say anything. He walked Herman back to the library. Herman kept his head down so the guard could not see his face. Sean and Paul looked curiously at Herman. Paul saw his t-shirt was ripped and that he had gotten into scrap again. Paul yelled, What the hell, man? Herman nodded in a way that he hoped would show that it was taken care of, but Paul said, Where are they, man? Where are they? I'll kill them. I got it, man, Herman said. Then what's that blood on your face, bro? Herman shrugged. And then he said, it isn't mine. Paul and Sean stopped. Paul smiled and said, man. He laughed and then he said, did you kick their asses, man? For a moment, Herman welled up. He felt the victory of winning the fight and he felt the sadness that he did it alone. He felt badly in how he had betrayed the librarian, but he felt joy knowing that he got the money he needed. Paul was excited and said, you're the man, bro and Sean nodded as well. The librarian watched the boys and saw how they'd become. He saw that they were no longer as alienated from one another as they once were, and he did not intervene. Herman lay on the mattress in a way that Sean and Paul could not see him. He kept the bills crumpled in his hand. It was the most money he ever had. He went to Paul's mattress. What's good, bro? Herman showed him the bills he had. Nice, said Paul. He did not ask Herman where he got the cash. Who you want to bet on, Paul said. Whoever you are. All right, man.
After a few hours, the guards came and tore the room apart. They didn't say anything. They flipped the mattresses and ripped off the bedsheets. They tossed Sean's chessboard. They opened all the drawers and emptied every last thing onto the ground. They searched every nook and cranny of the place, but they didn't find anything. When the guards left, three boys started to rebuild the room to how it was. And Paul said to Herman, quietly, I won't say nothing to anyone. They could send a dog after my balls, but I won't say nothing. You have my word, bro. Paul reached his fist out. Herman pounded it and nodded. In the library, Herman sat at the table and looked at the words, but read nothing. He did not have the nerve to speak or look at the librarian. Each day went on like that. Herman remained quiet and it seemed like the guilt anchored his attention back to the banal table glue. He did not say much to Sean or Paul. His eyes blurred over the linoleum and the dirt and the tile. Herman lay on the mattress, unable to even face the bed springs above him. He kept his eyes closed until Paul stood near his bunk and said, Some bad news, bro. Herman looked at him. Didn't do too well in the fight. Herman's gut floated from his stomach. We lost. But man, there's always next time. Paul went back to his bunk. Herman's entire body felt like cold cement. He felt like a complete idiot. More so than anyone had ever seen. He lay there for a long time. Until he got up and went over to Paul. Yes, man. I don't have any more money. Understood, bro. Understood. You know where I can get some? Paul paced in circles, pondering with his hands behind his back. Herman saw that he wasn't coming up with anything. It was as hopeless of a quest as he'd ever been on. But still, Paul paced around the room. He did that for some time until he stopped, and then he laughed and said, you know where I end up making all my cash? No. Man, you know. Off the fights? Paul nodded and waited for him to catch on, but Herman had no idea what he was talking about. Man, off the fights, Paul said. Herman didn't get it. Off the prize fighters, my bro, said Paul. The prize fighters. Paul put his hands on Herman's shoulders. And you, bro are the best fighter in this place. Herman was dumbfounded to hear that. He glared at Paul, thinking he'd lost his mind. Man, Paul said, think about it. You want me to fight? I'll train you, bro. I've seen every match. Paul saw that Herman did not think he could be a fighter. I'll train you up, and then we'll find you a match. We'll find a challenger. Winner takes all. Paul saw how hopeless Herman was. Man, you can do this, man. I know how this goes. You can do this. You think I could win a match? Hell yeah. You took on all those guys like a champ. Paul could see Sean was paying attention to them as well. Yo, man, you getting in on this? He said to Sean. Man, you gotta get in on this. We need you, bro. I don't know anything about that, Sean said. But bro. But you know what? What? You know a lot about something else. What? Paul looked at the chessboard. All that shit. Sean smiled and Herman did also. As each day passed, Paul taught Herman everything he knew from the fights that he'd seen. He saw that despite how scrawny Herman was, he threw each punch with some kind of rabid conviction. They trained day after day. Herman did his push-ups and he practiced his punches. 
They stood outside. Another cloud passed by the sun and revealed some brightness onto Herman's face, and he said, Paul? Yes, ma'am. Which day are we going to fight? Paul nodded and held his hand towards where the sun shone onto Herman. Herman looked at the ground, the whistling dirt, and the picnic table. Another set of clouds passed over the sun, and Herman saw patches of shadow pass along the grass. Paul saw that Herman was frightened, but he knew that despite Herman's size and how frail he was, he could fight. We gotta focus on your training. That's where the work is. The fight isn't anything. The training, bro, that's all there is, Paul said. All right? Herman was steadfast in practicing the exercises that Paul taught him. When his head hit the pillow at the end of the day, Herman felt a sense of comfort that he hadn't before. Each night was its own season of hibernation. He slept and dreamt of nothing. And again, each morning, the training would begin again and Paul pushed Herman to the point of exhaustion and failure. Paul offered himself as a hanging carcass and became Herman's punching bag. They practiced each hook and it seemed that Paul was indestructible and only laughed through his wheezing. Herman looked at Paul and when he broke to drink a sip of water, he said to him, How come you don't go and fight? Paul laughed and said, Because, man. Herman looked at him, and Paul saw his question was genuine. I don't have what it takes, man. I hit you as many times as I could, and you barely even cared, said Herman. That's nothing, man. You gotta have something else. Something like what you got. Herman did not know what he meant. You're relentless, bro. You're a killer. When he said that, something overcame Herman, like he was absorbed in some heated goop. Paul saw the vague shape of what haunted Herman, but it was unclear to him what it was. And perhaps for the first time, Paul did not laugh. He recognized then the point in which Herman would retreat. He saw that he was unable to access the extent of his rage, no matter how relentless they were in their training. Still, Herman held up his fists, and he swung his knuckles into Paul's ribcage, trying to rattle his heart off the nail it hung on. Sean stared at his chest pieces. It seemed he was going to say something, but he stopped himself. He put the piece back on the table and thought of what combinations he could move it in. The fight is tomorrow, Paul said. Herman nodded. When they finished their training, Herman went to his bunk, but he could not sleep. He lay awake, staring at the bed springs. The following morning, they stood in the yard, crowded by some of the others. The metal door slammed open, and there was Herman's opponent. He was tall his teeth slanted into fierce triangles, and his eyes squinted. He looked like a dog Herman had once seen, a bull terrier. Paul kept his hands on Herman's shoulders. You got this, bro. You got this, he said. Herman became extremely frightened, and he thought he would vomit on the pavement. The bull terrier bounced up and down. He was over twice Herman's size. Herman took off his t-shirt and threw it onto the ground. I got your back, bro, Paul said. The ref stood between them. He was a gruff-looking bastard, like a decrepit beach turtle with a rotten voice box. He counted the men and screamed for the fight to begin. Herman knew in that moment there was no beating this guy, but still he would have to try. The bull terrier bounced up and down watching Herman. Herman walked up and uppercut the bull terrier's jaw and swung his fist against his temple. He knocked him to the pavement, and then he bounced up and down, copying the bull terrier. When the bull terrier got up, he grinned in some maniacal way. Herman went to smoke him again, but this time, the bull terrier whacked his hand out of the way and jabbed Herman in the chest. 
The air spewed out of Herman's lungs as he hit the parking curb. He rolled up and pushed forward and hit the bull terrier with all he had. The bull terrier's fist returned and sunk down and clocked Herman across the forehead, sending him into the gravel. Again, Herman saw the rocks embedded into his palms. The crowd cheered and shouted when Herman went down. He felt his face was wet with blood. His vision blurred in the blooming red of the bull terrier's flattened face. Herman saw Sean amongst the faces in the crowd and went back to the bull terrier and pounded his head over and over again. But it wasn't enough. The bull terrier returned one square hit into Herman's chest and another ceaselessly across his face. Herman hit the ground again. For a strange moment, Herman felt like he was beneath water. He tried to get up, but he stumbled in a spell of dizziness. The bull terrier saw him and said with some earnest concern, Stay down, man. Stay down. Herman stood up, his eyes swollen, the blood covering his face, and his fists held out in front of him, proving what Paul saw in him. He went after the bull terrier again, but he was unable to take him down. And the bull terrier held his forearm around Herman's neck, trying to submit him until he felt Herman gnaw into his flesh. The bull terrier yelped, and as he still tried to wrap his elbow around Herman's neck, he said, Tap out, you runt bastard. Tap out. Herman desperately tried to escape, until finally, Paul broke. He saw that Herman's limit did not exist. He went to help Herman. Some other guys went towards Paul and tried to hold him back, but instead, Paul slammed their foreheads into one another like two brainless stakes bashing against concrete. Paul was then dogpiled by a slew of guys. They wrestled him down onto the pavement. Seeing Paul disappear, Sean emerged from the crowd and tried to pry Herman from the bull terrier's grip. One of the hallway guards slammed out of the metal doors and screamed towards the incessant crowd. They did not scatter until the guard repeated himself and yelled loud enough to rattle the clouds above them. They broke apart and flew back into the home like wingless pigeons. The bull terrier released Herman and Herman hit the pavement again. Sean tried to help Herman up, but Paul was still wrapped in a fury, trying to knock some numbskull into oblivion. More guards rushed out, and Sean yelled for them to split. Herman's vision was so blurred that he could not discern between the sky and the concrete.